Well, this morning, what I want to do is um, I would like to carry on, and I want to I want to finish what we started at the beginning of November, um, and um, and just to look at what it means to be um, a people that follow the Lord. We looked at we've been doing a series on what kind of church are we called to be, and we've been looking at a scripture in Matthew 28 and doing a series from the beginning of November at looking at that. We started off, I think, by looking at worship, how we call to be a church of worship, a people, Christians that worship God, and what does that look like? We had a look at discipleship and knowing God um, over the weeks, and if you haven't caught any of those sessions, you're welcome to download it on the Joshian website, um, but what we're going to do today is I'm going to finish off with the last one, the kind of church that we are called to be um, as Wellington Congregation, and as many of you know, for the sake of the visitors here, if you are here as a visitor the, this church has undergone a, quite a, a large change in the last month or two, where we have started a congregation in Paul. So we have sent out 40 of our adults and 20 of our children to Paul to plant a congregation there. Many of the folk that are there come from Paul. They live in Paul. And so we, we've been planning this for about two years, praying about it, trusting God. And finally, a month ago, we had the green light. Was it a month? I think it felt, you know four or five weeks, maybe five, six weeks ago, and we have started the congregation in Paul. They're doing well. Um, they're actually only officially starting in January, but so far they've already outgrown the building where they're in. Uh, I think they're sitting with about 55 adults already um, over the last few Sundays, and just they're, they're, they realized, oh, oh my word, we, we actually got a building that's too small. We need to get a bigger building. So they are looking for a bigger place in January, and um, I'm sure we're going to have to organize a joint Sunday celebration together with them, mustn't we? They're going to have to come here, though, or something. <laughs> so, all right. So, for those who don't know, my name is Michael, and I lead the eldership team in Wellington. Um, we love the Lord, and we're doing our best to serve Him, but we are but serving the perfect one. We're not perfect. He is. And so, I want us to start by looking at Matthew 28 verse 19 to 20, and I want to preach just on one thing this morning, one simple truth, but that in one sense is very weighty and is very intimidating when we hear about this word. So let's just read from verse 19 and 20. It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so two weeks ago, we looked at discipleship. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? And how the early disciples, uh, the early Christians, they weren't called Christians, they were called disciples because they were known as people that followed Christ. They didn't just speak about Christ, but they followed Him. They wanted to become like Him, and uh, they were devoted to the things of Christ and to His church. So they, they get called disciples, and He says, now go and make disciples. What should you do? Baptize them. And it's great that we've got two baptisms after church. It's wonderful. And I know my son, Daniel, is getting baptized next Sunday, my son, finally. Um, trusting. So it's also exciting. And there might be some others here that you have not been water baptized, but you're, you know, we don't just want you to go for a swim in Jesus' name, because you actually have to understand what you're doing. And that's one of the reasons, just digressing slightly, is that we've always actually waited with our children, and we haven't baptized them when they're too young. I've actually, we've waited them. I think Joelle was, you were 12, 13? 11, okay. But she was at an age, uh, Michaela was 12, of understanding. 
And Dan, we've waited and waited because I want him to be his faith, his understanding, not just caught up in because his parents are. And um, obviously, if you've been baptized and you are seven or eight years old, that's fine. But you, you're not just going for a spiritual swim. You're actually, you have to understand by faith what you're doing. Um, and so, anyway, so we're baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus says, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And so what I want to do this morning, verse 20, I want us to focus on that. And I want to look at this little word, observe, where God wants his disciples to observe everything that he has commanded us to do. Some Bible translation says, teaching them to obey everything that I, all that I have commanded you. And so Jesus didn't say, go and teach them to know my commandments, that you must study them and have great knowledge of them. He says, I want you to go and obey my commandments. And so what I'm teaching on this morning is obedience, being a people who are obedient, an obedient people. So Jesus says this thing of obedience, and so I want to look at what is obedience, this principle of obedience in Scripture. And in one sense, it's, 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 make, it's a marker of what it means to be a child of God, is this thing of obedience, that, that as, as Christians, as disciples, we are called to do what Jesus says. It's very simple in one sense, but very profound in another. That is what a Christian is. It's not someone who just has all the right knowledge in their head. Because the Bible says that even the demons believe. The demons aren't atheists. You know, the demons have good theology. They understand that Jesus is God and that he is Lord of all. They know that. But it says that it's those that obey his commands are his disciples. Those who do. And so that's what marks out a Christian. A Christian is someone who does what Jesus says. He says, yes, Lord, I'm going to do what you, what you say. I love the saying. There was a, um, a, a statement that it says, you know, a slave obeys because he has to obey. A slave, a servant. You obey because the master says do this, but you have to do it. But a Christian obeys because he wants to. You see, we obey God because God has put you, once you get born again, he puts a desire in our hearts, doesn't he? Where now we begin to want to obey him. Um, I know Philippians 2, verse, where is it? In verse 13, we're not going to go there, but it speaks about how that God works in you as we work out our salvation to will and to work according to his good pleasure. God works in us. So the reason that we obey is actually because God puts in us a desire to obey God. And I'm sure each of you, if you think back to your salvation moment or when you knew that you were born again, you probably found that your desires began to change. That's one of the markers of being a Christian, that your desires long after God. It doesn't mean you always get it right, but there's something about in your heart's desire. It's like, I want to obey God. I want to do His will, even though I might mess it up, but I want to do His will. I want to obey Him. That is one of the great signs of being a follower of Jesus. And if you don't have those desires... I can't say to you, you must have that desire. All I can say to you, there's maybe a chance that you're not born again. You're not, you're not born again. And so rather than trying to reform you from the outside, is that the work, God has to do a work of grace on the inside that is only possible by His Spirit. You must be born again. But it's good news. And so I want to say from the upfront as well that when I speak about obedience and when Jesus is speaking about obedience, he's not saying this. He's not saying that you have to obey 
in order to be my child. You have to obey in order to be into my family. That's not what the Christian gospel is about. We obey because we are ready his children and because we have his favor. And so a Christian is obedient because he's already loved by God and he loves God. That's why we obey. So it's not in order to try and get God's attention because if we do that, that's what religious people do. Religion says, I'm going to work hard to get to God and get his attention. That's religion. Christianity says, God has already got my attention. He's saved me. He's made me born again. I already, in one sense, have the favor and the blessing of God. But now because I do, I have to obey him. It's a response rather than a, than a and, and sometimes we get the order wrong, don't we? Even while we are born again. I know for myself, coming up in a religious home, in a relig- religious family, so often I've caught myself trying to obey God in order to please him. As if I have to get his attention. He says, no, 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 no. I already love you because of my son Jesus. I, I've accepted you because of the obedience of Jesus. Jesus saves. And, like, and I know this is very simple, what I'm sharing right now. And, you know, I, it's very simple. But this idea that Jesus saves, not your good works. Your obedience can't save you. In fact, I want to say this, and I've said it often to the students to shock them. You are saved by good works. But not your good works. By the good works of Jesus. <laughs> That's what saves us. And because of that, once I realize that and I believe that with all of my heart, that's what makes me a Christian. And then I begin to obey God as his child, as someone in his family. And so he says this, and it's quite intimidating. He says, teach them to obey me. Teach them to obey all my commands. And, and he says this, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. It's like, oh, Lord, do you have to say all? You know, can't you say teaching them to obey some of my commands like, like, there's almost no wiggle room here. It's like God expects us, when he wants us to obey, he wants us to aim to obey everything. Not the parts that we pick and choose, that we say, ooh, I like that part of obeying and being a Christian. But that part, ish. Yeah, I will, I'll be a worshiper of God. I like that part. But the part about giving my money, ah, I don't really like that part of being a Christian. And God says, no, 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 if you are a child of obedience, it means that you, you set yourself up to obey all that I've commanded you. And, you know, what's interesting with the Jews is obviously Jesus is speaking in a Jewish environment, and the Jews had to obey 613 specific old covenant commands. That if you're a Jew, you count them. But there are specifically 613 commandments that they had to obey under the law. Now, now you can imagine that to a Jewish mind, it's like, you mean I've got to now obey all of them? Because they didn't obey all of them, and that's, this is the kicker, is that they never obeyed all of the commands. Because they couldn't. They couldn't get it right. And some of the commands, and I'm going to dive into what this means for us, is God was so specific with the commands that they had to obey. He was even, um, he commanded them on things like what type of food to eat, that to eat this food, don't eat that type of food. He commanded them even on what they had to wear, their fashion sense. You can't wear clothing with mixed fiber. And he had all these rules on clothing. He gave them commands of even how to wash their hands and the kind of soap that they had to use because he wanted them to be clean and different from, you know, so they wouldn't get diseases. He, 
commanded them of how to literally treat the land if they were farmers and how to look after the land, how to even treat their animals, what to do if someone sinned against them. God was very detailed in those things, even how to worship. And the worship ceremonies and the the rituals of worship was very detailed. And so we come up with about 613 commands. So now, I don't know about you, but it makes me ask the question, well, what commands do we have to obey? And so I want us to turn to a story in Mark 12, verse 28, because here, one of the scribes is, is, let's read it from verse 28, just verse 28. Now, I want you to keep in mind, because remember, Jesus is speaking initially to a Jewish audience that lived under the law. They, they knew about the commandments, and they knew about this weight that they had to keep all these laws, all these commandments, and they had to be a people of obedience. And I love this. It says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he, or Jesus, answered them well, asked him, asked Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, that's a good question, isn't it? He's saying, in other words, what commandments must I obey? What, as a, as a God-fearer, as someone that follows after God, what commandments should I obey and follow after God? And, like, out of all of these, are there certain ones that are more important? Are there ones, in a sense, that are less important? Take, you know, that type of thing that he's asking. And I want to say that that is a very good question, isn't it? <laughs> if you're faced with all these things, what are the commandments that are most important? Almost if you have to rank them, can you rank them in terms of how we obey? And what we obey. Now, the first problem for us as Christians is what? What is the problem with this this question that the Jew asks? Well, firstly, he's a Jew, and we Christians. So the first thing is that we are no longer under the law. And I think a lot of Christians today get confused because we read the Old Testament and we feel like we've got to obey its laws. And I want to say categorically that as we see what Jesus is going to say now is that Jesus restates the law. I want to say this very clearly. Paul says that you're no longer under the law. You cannot obey the Old Testament law because it wasn't written to you. It was written to the Jews. I've said this before, but I want to say it categorically again. There are people, unfortunately, in our area, and there's a movement into Messianic Christianity where people, there's a revival in one sense, towards people saying, but we need to follow the festivals. We need to obey the laws. We, we mustn't eat unclean food because if we do, we're sinning against God. And in order to please God and have sanctification, we've got to follow now the laws. I want to say that that is wrong. The Bible says that we are under grace, no longer under law, and that Jesus fulfilled the law. It's things like, and I want to nail, I want to hit this one on, on its head because I want to, this is the kind of church that we're called to be. We are not called to have elements where we glorify the law. Things like the Sabbath. And, and now if you want to keep the Sabbath, then you, you do that with a clear conscience. But I want to say that you are not more pleasing to God if you keep the Sabbath. God isn't more pleased with you. What pleases God is if you trust Jesus and you believe in Jesus. Because Hebrews 4, Jesus says, I am the Sabbath rest. He is the rest. We find rest in him 24-7. And so this is the idea that we've got to be very careful. So all these laws, they've been fulfilled in Jesus. Jesus, he lived the perfect man, he did the and he fulfills laws. There are certain laws that are applicable for us today. 
But those are the laws that are restated in the New Testament. Every law that gets restated and recommanded in the New Testament is for you. These are the moral laws. These are the Ten Commandments. I want to say bar the Sabbath. Is it wrong? No, you can have a Sabbath. But if that is your day of rest, do it because it's a principle rather than a law. But let's move on. I wasn't actually intending to say any of this. This, None of this is in my notes. I'm sorry. I I, I tend to carry it away. Friends, I want to say the reason I get, I actually get very worked up about this. If you know me well, you know, like, it actually, the reason I get worked up about the Jewish roots movement, and there might be some of you here that I'm going to offend. Well, I hope I offend you with the truth, and I hope you actually see the light. Is the reason is because we, people in the Jewish roots movement, they make less of Jesus. It's like we as Christians, what makes it, we have to make much of Jesus. And what, the, what, what, what this does, going under the law again, we try and get all legalistic and about the rules, and we forget that it's all about Him. And that being a Christian is following Him, not after all these other things. And so what Jesus does is under the New Testament, those things were shadows that were always pointing to the reality that our, our obedience is found in the person of Jesus, that we have to follow Him rather than a set of rules. But... There are some things that are restated and that are good for us. Now you say, but then what use is the Old Testament? Should we then even bother reading the Old Testament? I want to say that the Old Testament is for us. It is a gift of God given to you and me today to read the Old Testament and to take it. What parts? All of it. But not to obey it, but to learn about the God of the Old Testament. Because it's the same God, and we learn about His character, His nature, what God is like. We learn about it through the Old Testament. So in a sense, it's like we live in a house, and we don't live on the ground floor. The ground floor is the Old Testament. We live on the first floor of the house, the New Testament. But we better know what's at the bottom, because we are, we're living on the first floor. But at the ground floor, that is our heritage. And we need to know about the law. We need to know about the commandments. But at the end of the day, you're a Christian. And that means we get our commandments from the New Testament first, and then we go back and we reinterpret the Old Testament. Is that clear? So, okay. If it's not clear at all, if I have offended you in any way, please come and speak to me afterwards, because I don't want to leave you there. But anyway, I'm not even preaching on that this morning. We're preaching about... So, we're looking at obedience. But the scribe that is wrapped up under the law, he's asking Jesus, what commandments must I obey? We've got all these commands. What must I obey? And I love what Jesus does here in verse 31. Jesus answered him. Now, now what Jesus does in answering him, he actually quotes from the book of Deuteronomy. Right in the Old Testament, he's quoting from an Old Testament law book, from the Torah. And he says to him, the most important commandment is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and with all of your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so what Jesus is doing, he's saying that obedience starts with loving God. And he brings it back to that. And what he does is he restates all those laws. They all point towards, it's about how we love God and how we love one another how we love people. That is the heart of the law, and that's what Jesus does. And the wonderful thing about being a Christian under the New Testament is though the heart of that law remains the same. We're saved by faith, 
And we're called to love God, and we're called to love people. That's what the Jews were called to do. And he restates that, like he reforms it under the gospel, under the New Testament. And he says, obedience starts with loving God. And I want to say that, that this is a wonderful framework for us, that if you sometimes don't know, Lord, how should I obey you? Maybe you don't know your New Testament that well, and you don't understand some of the, the commandments, for example, from a, of a husband to a wife or a wife towards a husband, because Jesus does tell us how we to treat one another, in a sense, a command under the gospel. But maybe you don't know some of that. And a very good question to ask yourself is if you say, but Lord, I want to be obedient, I want to, you just say, but Lord, how should I love you? How can I love you? And if you have that heart to love God passionately with everything in you, then chances are you'll begin to actually walk in his commandments, almost accidentally, if your heart is to love him. Um, and I love what he says here. He says this. He says, love the Lord with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. Why does Jesus mention four different parts of your, of your being here? Why does he do that? I want you to love God with heart, mind, soul, strength. Why does he say that? What he's saying is he's saying, I want you to love me with every part of your being, wholeheartedly, every part of you, with every fiber of your being, you to love me. In other words, that the kind of obedience that God is looking for is not a half-hearted obedience. It's not a, a, an obedience that kind of uh, loves him when things are easy or when things are, are, are convenient. You say, God, I'm giving you everything. That is, that is the position we start in, the Christian walk. We don't start with like, okay, well, I'm giving you this, but not this. And when I come into the faith, I'm holding on to this area, and I'm giving you that area. When you come into the Christian faith, it is all or nothing. Either Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. There's this radical component with obedience. And again, it doesn't mean that you have ticked all and you've literally been, but it's a hard attitude. It's a posture that says, God, when I'm starting, I'm starting with a posture of every part of me belongs to you. And I'm going to love you with every part of me. Every part of me is yours, Lord. And it doesn't mean you've got to necessarily be loud. So let's say you're an introvert. It doesn't mean that you have to now become an extrovert. It's just... People, you can be quiet and you can love God passionately as, as much as you're a loud person. But passionate love is shown in our priorities in our life. And obedience flows out of loving God. I love this in John 14 verse 15. Um, Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14 15, if you love me. So keeping his commandments is born out of a place of loving God. That's where it starts. I want to share a story with you just to maybe clarify. I've got a friend who works in the printing industry in Cape Town. And um, he got saved into Josh Jen um, out of a very hectic background. He was living with his girlfriend. And he was a drug addict. Whilst actually quite successful in business, he used to, mo he used to grow his own marijuana plants in his back garden, smoke the leaves. I mean, this guy was, and he ended up getting saved, radically saved, into, um, into the life of the church. And, um, and as a Christian, as a young Christian, he often wrestled with what, what does it mean to kind of obey God? I want to obey God, but, but sometimes in the grayness and the difficulty of life, it's sometimes difficult to know always what the will of God is. And he had a situation at work where, now for us this might seem very straightforward, but sometimes it's not always that straightforward, where... In the printing industry, he oversaw the printing of magazines that would get distributed out, the quality of, of the print. 
and uh, the company decided to take on the business of, um, of, a, of a company that printed out Playboy magazine. Uh, some, I think it was Playboy. It was an adult porn magazine, but it was, it was pretty hectic. And so I think it was Playboy. So he had to oversee all the content and the quality of the paper, and obviously had to look through the magazine. And this was causing him great trouble. Now, he was wrestling at that stage with, when the Bible says, if a man does not care for his family, Paul says he's worse than an unbeliever. You know that? So he's wrestling with the scriptures like, I have to work because the Bible says I have to work. And if I don't work, you know, I'm not being faithful to look after my family. He was wrestling with that. But he also knew that, ah, oh, but I'm sinning every time I look at this magazine. How can I stay in a work environment that is causing me to compromise myself? Is this the will of God? I want to obey him, but was it, what does it mean to obey him? And you know, what he did was he began to use that framework to say, well, can I love God with all of my heart and my mind and my soul? Can I love God with my mind while being in this workplace? And he says, no, I can't. And so he felt the Lord leading. He worked it through with the leaders. He quit his job. He had a family. He quit it. And he said, Lord, I have to be obedient to you. I know I have to provide for my family, but if I'm going to sin while doing it, actually, I, I'm being an unfaithful steward. I'm not loving you like you want me to love you. I'm not guarding myself like you want me to. Now, and so what he did is he ended up, he quit his job because he couldn't stay there. But God provided. And, he, and now today he's you know, in a much better place, in a much better work environment and sometimes we face those difficult situations. And a good question to ask is always, how can I love God with all of my heart? And I think sometimes like that, we, you know, if you're in a work environment that is very difficult, it doesn't mean that you have to leave it because you have a difficult boss. You might have a boss who from, comes from the pit of hell. <laughs> That's the reality, isn't it? Sometimes we have very difficult work environments. But sometimes God might want you there. If it's not causing you to sin, your boss might be sinful, but maybe you're there for a reason. You've got to stick it out. I'm not saying we find perfect work situations, but when it's causing you to sin in a very clear way, not to love God, then it's very clear how we obey Him. And I want to just bring things like this to your attention. Your finances. What, and you say, but Lord, I'm, what, what is your will with my finances? And you bring your finances to the Lord, and a good question to ask is, God, how do I love you with all of my heart and my mind, my soul, my strength, with my finances? doesn't mean that I have to keep some to myself. No, I've got to give faithfully because that's how I love God. That things like the way you use your time, watch, watch, watch on TV. If you're watching something on TV and you want to love God with all of your heart, you're going to very quickly know how to obey Him with what you watch on TV. Amen? <laughs> I want to love the Lord. But you say, but Mike, but I don't always feel like obeying God. I don't always feel like loving God. I don't always feel like loving my wife when she's difficult. Or if you're a wife, I've got a difficult husband. I know the Bible says I have to submit to my husband, but you don't understand my husband. <laughs> I don't feel like it. I don't, I don't feel like what you're asking me to do. When I'm, I'm, I'm struggling where I am, and now you, I have to give, I have to pray in the mornings because, you know, the Bible says pray unceasingly. I don't, I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like reading my Bible. And a feeling-based Christianity is a sign of immature Christianity. So, biblical love, and this is the thing, I think for especially younger Christians that are here, I want to remind you is that loving God and obeying Him is never a feeling. 
The feelings might follow the action, but for most of the time, you probably won't feel like it. <laughs> Isn't it true? And I know for those that have been walking with the Lord a, a, a long time, you might go, yeah, that is absolutely true. Most mornings, I do not feel like praying, but I do it. I'm a pro. I've just, I've got up, I get up, I do it, because like, I'm not doing it because I feel like it. You look at people who are professional sportsmen. They don't feel like practicing their sport, but they're pros. They, do it, they get up and they do it anyway, because that's what they're called to do. And in a sense, we profess, we pros. We get up, we pray, we, we worship, we, we commit ourselves. When you don't feel like coming to church on a Sunday, we do it anyway, because God's word says it, even if I don't feel like it. And you know the wonderful thing is? It all follows anyway. The feelings come later. It's like, oh, I'm so glad I went. <laughs> don't we feel like that? The best meetings are the ones you didn't feel like going to. That, that is me to a T. I, I can just, before the Lord, I can tell you, the times I've dragged myself to some meeting, I'm like, I really don't want to go. I'm tired. I've had a long week. And you drag yourself there, you know, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm going to obey you, Lord, because I know it's good to be with the saints. It's what your word says. And you drag yourself. And then somehow through the meeting, God begins to refresh you and speak to you. And it's like, oh, I'm so glad I went. <laughs> That is the kind of church we are called to be, you know? That is the kind of church, uh, growing up into maturity and obeying Him when we should. And it's not a feeling, it's an act of the will, it's a choice that says, I'm choosing to obey even when I don't feel like it. So when Jesus issues these commands to us, He always gives us help with the help of His Holy Spirit. So here's a, one last question, and then I'm going to land. Enough. What happens when we don't obey God as we should? And let's say we say, but we know we're not always obeying him like we should. Like, I'm not getting it right, Lord. Maybe there's certain things. For example, you might say, some of you might have a theology. I don't think anyone here, but I've met people who have a theology. They say that we have to obey God perfectly, and you should never disobey God. That it's possible to live a perfectly sinless life. A person like that happened to... Uh, uh, Spurgeon, um, Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, they said to him, well, do you know that we can live a sinless life? I haven't sinned for 15 years, he said to Charles Spurgeon. And so what Spurgeon did is Spurgeon took his glass of whatever he was drinking and he threw it in the guy's face. And the guy, why, why did you do that? He said, ah, oh, you just sinned. First time in 15 years. <laughs> the point is like, this is the point. <laughs> he wasn't being mean. He was trying to deal with a theology that says that I can have pride in my actions and in my, because that's what we do. We begin to pat ourselves on the back and we say, I am such a mature Christian. I have obeyed God perfectly. That is self-righteousness and it's pride before God. And so the kind of obedience God wants is, a, is kind of a dependent obedience to say, I'm going to aim to obey him in everything, but I don't always get it right. And I want us to end with this scripture in 1 John uh, actually, two. I, I didn't give it to you, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to two scriptures. First one is in 1 John chapter 2. They're both in 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, um, verse 1. 1 John 2, verse 1. He says, 1, uh, verse, uh, one and verse 2, Cass, and verse 2. It says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Don't you love that? So he says, I want you not to sin. Your aim must be not to sin because God has given you the, the power to say no to sin. Then he says this, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. 
You see, John was a, had been in pastoral ministry long enough to know that although our aim is not to sin, we will sin. And when we sin, we've got someone who's there to forgive us of our sins and to give us another chance. And he says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but the sins of the whole world. And let's go back to 1 John 1 verse 9. Oh, sorry, let's start from verse 8. I'm sorry, I didn't give you that. Let's look at verse 8. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He says in verse 8. Um, just go back. Uh, you can put that on the board as well. 1 John 1 verse 8. <laughs> uh, okay, there we go. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And he says, the reality is everyone misses the mark. We don't always love God as we should. And you might say, but Mike, I, I haven't sinned all week. I honestly believe before God I haven't sinned all week. Let me ask you the question. Are you saying that you have loved God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength all week? You've obeyed God perfectly in every way, not just not sinning, but actually doing the very will of the Father, loving Him with everything. That's almost impossible. He says, but if you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so I want to say, what happens if you do not obey perfectly? The point is this, is that there is forgiveness for you. We've got to confess it. You can't leave it. And you've got to confess it. And you've got to say, Lord, would you empower me? I'm going to turn away from it. And I want to follow you and do better next time with the help of your grace. That is what we are called to do as a people. And I want to end with that to say, you know, obedience is possible for us as children of God. God wants us to obey him. That if Jesus said to us, go and obey all my commandments, it means that he's given us the authority to actually do what he calls us to do. And I want to tell you that if you feel today that maybe there's an area in your life that you say, but Mike, there's this area. I just don't know if I can obey God in this area. It's been too hard for me. It's like this area. I can obey him in other areas, but... I'm just, till the day I die, I'm going to just struggle along. I want to say, no, you do not believe the lie of the devil. He said, God wants you to obey him in all things. And if you trust him, if you step out in faith, God can make a way for you. He wants us to be obedient and to trust him. We won't always get it right, but you're on a trajectory of obeying him and serving him. When you sin, you confess your sin, you turn around and you obey him. And I felt this morning, just in praying, that there are some of you that you've believed the lie that there's certain areas in your life that God, you'll never find breakthrough in. It's like you'll never love him properly in that area. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The will of God for you. And he's given you his spirit. He's given you the church. He's given you his word. He's given you people around you, leaders, to help you so that you can break through. The question is, do you want it? Do we want it? Do, you, do we want it? And so I want to pray for us this morning that we would respond to the Lord. And come, let's close our eyes together and pray. Come, Lord. Would you in your heart this morning just... Just give yourself to the Lord and say, Lord, oh, would you, would you just empower me right now? 
Here I am, Lord, submitted to you. Would you empower me to obey you? Would you empower me to love you? Would you help me to love you, Lord? Ask God right now. Just cry to God and ask him. I want to say this with every head bowed. One of the commandments, the very first commandment that for you to become a Christian, and I want to speak to some here that maybe there's some here that you're not sure of your salvation. And the very first commandment, John 3, Jesus says, you must be born again to enter the kingdom of God. If you want to come under God's rule and forgiveness, you must be born again. And if you know that you are not born again here, you know that you're far from God and you, you've never desired after him, but you want to, saying, Lord, I want to. The Bible says you must be born again. How are you born again? How am I born again, Mike? The way you're born again is by turning away from your sin and surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. That's a work of the Holy Spirit where you say, Lord, would you come and make me born again? I surrender my life to Jesus Christ. Would you be the Lord of my life? And then God has to do it. It's not a work of man. And is there anyone like that this morning before we carry on? You want to be born again. You want to come and turn away from your old life and come to Jesus. Is there anyone like that this morning? Just quickly show, show me your hands. And Mike, that's me. I'd like you to pray for me. And Anyone like that? I just want to give people an opportunity. Is anyone feels like you've not been born again? We can explain the whole process to you, um, go through the scriptures with you. All right. All right, then for the rest of us, let's, let's all stand together. All right, let's just, um, let's just remain in an attitude of worship, our oh, Lord. Come, Lord. Oh, Lord, we love you this morning. Lord, we want to thank you that you are the obedient one. Lord, that we can look at you because you perfectly obeyed the Father in every way. And that, Lord, we know that we are hidden in Jesus. That, Lord, that we are covered with your righteousness. We thank you this morning for the good news of the gospel, Lord. That we don't, this isn't a heavy, this isn't meant to be a heavy. This is meant to be, Lord, come under and what it means to be faithful to your word. And, Lord, this morning... We thank you, Lord, that we look to you. We hide ourselves in you. That the only way we are acceptable before God is because of the work of Jesus. Oh, Lord, we want to say this morning we put our trust in you. We love you, Lord. And where we don't love you as we should, would you come and empower us and help us to learn what it means to love you with all of our hearts and our mind and our soul and our strength. That we want to be learning and growing till the day we die, oh God. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. We, oh, God, we draw near to you this morning. God, in our hearts, we want you to wash us and to empower us and to, to, that we could work at our salvation with fear and trembling as you work in us to will and to work for your good pleasure. Oh, Lord, we trust you, Father. Look to you this morning, Jesus. Oh, Father, we worship you this morning. Let's, let's wait on the Lord a bit and see what the Lord wants to do. I don't want to manufacture anything. Um, I really don't. I just, let's, but let's just give the, the Holy Spirit a moment just to minister. Just respond to me. If you feel like you, you've some sin you need to turn away from, just, just respond to him where you are. Just, Lord, that's me. Oh, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Come this morning. We ask you to minister, Lord. Minister to every heart. Lord, I know that my words are frail and my words are 
but your word is true. I know that my, people forget my words, and they should, but Lord, your word is true.